Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking irrigation. Is it really the savior when it comes to a year like this? In our spotlight, we'll take a look at some new technology that helps you keep an eye on your crop. Egg History Minute, we'll talk the Great Lakes Compact. Cool Beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events. We'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today is Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So at least there's no wildfire smoke this week. Yeah. So far, anyway. We've got sunshine. It's this weird, this weird big yellow ball in the sky. I haven't seen it in a long time. That and it's not 90 degrees. It was earlier this week. Yeah. I'd say Tuesday before the storms. That was like the hottest day I think I can remember. In a... It was the hottest day in the world. Did you not see that? Yeah, I did. But <laughs> I am I was standing on a feed pad and I was like, this is, I don't know if I've ever worked when it was this hot before. It was a different different animal than, than normal. Yeah. Wednesday with the not cooling down overnight from July 4th, walking into a wall of humidity. It's like, oh. Yeah, sorry, Wednesday before the rain, not Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I wish it would have rained on Tuesday a little bit. Maybe some places did, but it did not here, that's for sure. No, Wednesday Wednesday was, I think, I think it had to have been the hottest. I, I remember a few mornings like that, but not many, where it just doesn't cool off at night and you get up and it's as warm as it was the day before. I mean, it was, like, 80, oh. it was 81 or 82 by 8 o'clock. Yeah. It was hot. And the sun was out. Maybe that's maybe that was just it. We're just not used to seeing the sun this much. Right. Having the sun beat down on you and we really didn't have I mean the humidity hasn't been that bad most of the year, despite yeah. the fact that it's been hot. Also, usually by the time it's a swarm, the corn's like up above your head and you can hide in the corn a little bit and it takes some of the sun off of you. Yep, but not this year. Not this year. There's a little bit that's getting up there, but yeah. Well, usually the rest of the field's shorter than Right that spot, so and it's humid in there too. But it at least takes some of the sun directly off of you. So, yeah, yeah. How was your July Fourth, Amy? Pretty, pretty tame actually. And no, nobody blew Gar- your fingers off. Garvey boys kept her under control this year, so we had a pretty, pretty quiet Fourth of July. So, but my dad and my brothers light fireworks every like three days all year. So Fourth <laughs> of July isn't really, you know, just another uh, another excuse to do it. Huh? Yeah, we actually. We did a little show by my dad's house on the 3rd, and on the 4th, I went to Grandma's house, and we had BLTs for dinner with fresh-picked tomatoes and lettuce from the garden, and that was that was our big 4th of July Oof. banger. Yeah, it was great BLT. So, <laughs> how about you? Did you guys go somewhere? Oh, uh, yeah, I went to my aunt's house. We set off some fireworks and watched the neighbors set off theirs. Then there was an actual fire down the road, so that yeah. gave a little bit more Yeah, there was. So There was. You see the videos? There was like I saw a bunch of them that are from this year of people lighting off fireworks, and they they like light one off, and basically a spark ignites their entire pile of they got it all piled up like right there. Yep, yeah. There's always somebody like back of a pickup truck full of fireworks that starts blowing off. Yeah, I some people, man. I don't know. Yeah, I usually try to keep the unexploded fireworks as far away from the exploded exploding ones as yeah. possible. You can pull them back. It's usually good and usually a good idea. But I some did, of that stuff can travel pretty far. Yeah. I did get to see the greatest athlete ever on the fourth of July. That was cool. Yeah. Joey Chestnut. 
Oh, the, yeah, the greatest. I don't care what anybody says. Michael Jordan, uh, who's the secretariat? That's the good horse that some people say is the greatest athlete. It's Joey Chestnut. Like, yeah, you can say competitive eating isn't a sport all you want. What that guy is able to do year in and year out is amazing. Yeah, he only ate 62 hot dogs this year. Well, it's slow buns. <laughs> slow buns because they got stale because they delayed the contest for three hours. That's right. Yeah, they had some weather yep. issues or something, wasn't it? Yep. So slow buns. That's what he he, he says that. Like, uh, buns are looking real fast today. So, yep. Stale buns slowed him down. But yeah, this is what his 16th? 16th? Yeah. yeah. Think about that. 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Like, I eat 62 a year maybe. I probably don't even eat that many a year. Well, if you've ever eaten the Nathan's hot dogs, they're not like the skinny little Oscar Mayer guys. No, that's a that's a full that's a man's dog. Yeah, it's it's a big big dog. Yeah, I do enjoy like the couple people who get up there somehow and they eat two of them in ten minutes. <laughs> they just like oh, I'm just yeah, just for fun. Yeah, just gonna gonna try it. Yep. Oh, you guys are you guys are kind of crazy. Just gonna eat this whole thing in the bun. <laughs> there was one guy in the men's competition who. The whole time through the delays, they were making him do like chugs and stuff, okay. for like to keep everybody interested during the, the the rain delay. And then he got on stage and was trying to eat hot dogs. I'm like, "There's no way!" Like, yeah, he's just filled his gut with. They made him do a chug like every half an hour. They were making him chug a gallon of lemonade or a gallon of this or a, <laughs> you know four beers or whatever it was. And I was like, "How is this guy going to get on stage and eat hot dogs?" Yeah, it's hard to eat with a belly full of liquid. Yeah. Like he literally chugged a gallon of lemonade. That was the one. That was one of the ones I watched, and I was like, "What the heck?" Yeah, it's it's amazing what those guys can do with. And then I I can't imagine the day after he's just sitting on a couch. He probably got to hit the gym and he he says something. it's not that bad. It's not as bad as you think. But he's also the best to ever do it. Right, so. and he does it a lot. So yeah, the. The average competitor versus a seasoned competitor like Joey Chestnut is going to be way different. Yeah, for sure. All right. You ready to get into our topic for today? Yeah, this is uh, this is a good one. This is a popular one. So uh, inspired by a field day I was at yesterday looking at some irrigation technology. It's like, okay, everybody's all excited and wants to buy these, buy some sort of irrigation thing because we're in a drought year and it happens every time. Remember, 2012 was the same thing. Everybody's like, oh, I should get a pivot or I should. And 2019, everybody bought tile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like when it floods, it's tile. But is irrigation really a savior? So a lot of people seem to think so. It's like, oh, if I just, if I could put the water on, like I can't control the rain, but if I could put water on, my crop would be awesome. It's like, well, maybe. It certainly would help in some situations, but. I think one of the biggest things is it's like basically having another tractor every pivot on the farm. You got lots of tires, lots of tubing and sprinklers and all it's sorts a of things. Drivetrain to keep keep moving. Yep. So it's all all different sorts of parts and pieces that are moving that you have to keep running. And if you like the new one, yeah, it's probably going to be good for a little while. But once it gets a little bit of age on it, it's a lot of maintenance, a lot of time. You know even seen if they don't bury the irrigation line deep enough freezes over winter they gotta replace yeah. all that hey we have a whole nother process compared to some guys down south because we have a basically a winterization process to keep our our pivots you know healthy without you know because it gets it's gonna be negative 20 at some point i know right now it's hard to believe but it's gonna get there right so we'll be back there yeah 
No, the the greatest the greatest anecdote I think I've ever gotten about about pivots is they don't make a crop, they just keep it from deteriorating. And it's true when you water your garden, like yeah, your garden does okay, but when your garden does the best when it gets real rain. So crops are the same way. Yep. Irrigation definitely helps, keeps it from working backwards, but it's not just gonna make bushels appear either. No, and that's especially when you're in the sandy ground where they need the pivots. They're they're just keeping up. They're keeping the, the crop alive. It's not like it's it's insurance against crop death, basically. Yeah, and yep. that, that's why they have them. It's not. It's a bonus in some years where they can run them to get added moisture and maybe add a little bit to the water bank for the the crop. But it, most of the time, it's it's because they need to run them. It might rain today, and then they have to run it tomorrow or yeah. two days later. So. Yeah, really in a year like this, you're all you're doing is keeping it from dying and that's even that I man, there's some there's some irrigated corn in the sands that they can't run it fast enough to keep up with what we what we're going through. Right. This week at least finally they the temperatures are going down enough yep. that hopefully some of that'll hold for more than more than 24 hours, but yeah, it's by the time you get the pivot to the other side, you got to just run it right back. And so. irrigation does seem to work better when the corn gets a little taller. And can hold some of that moisture yep, w- yep, within the canopy. The canopy, yeah. The the whirl catch that moisture and it limits some of the evaporation from the ground, just baking, baking, you know, really hot and burning it off right away. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the newer ones are electric, so power company limitations are also an issue because it's been so hot. They limit the hours you can run it in a day, so you're not really. It's not as simple as, oh, I'll just water it whenever I want, or I can just keep it running all day. It's like, no, it's there's there's limitations there. You can't just keep a pivot going unless it's on a diesel engine, and then you got to fill it up with gas. and Well, diesel, not gas. Yeah, and that's that's another expense, right? That's, that adds to your diesel cost for the year. Yep, and it means you've got to go out to the pivots. You know, the, the electric ones, what's nice is you can control them from your phone yep. if, you, if you want to, all that kind of stuff, but running on a diesel engine you gotta go out and fill it up and just to keep it going so there's it's not as simple as it sounds of like oh yeah it's all you gotta do is go turn it on and water my crops it's fine yep uh have to have a water source that's another big thing uh, you know it's one thing if it's close by to the farm where you've got a well that you can tap into otherwise if you're drilling wells out by fields there's the well drilling cost most likely a high capacity wells and there's permits and other things. Yeah, and the, get. the availability to water like that is getting, you know, less and less every year and harder and harder to get through the red tape to get to them. So yeah. it's not as easy as saying, well, we want to pivot here and start drilling. You know, it's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of steps in between there. I saw yesterday the yield 360 rain. That's basically a self-propelled watering unit. So it's got booms like a sprayer. And a big reel that it it drags the hose out and goes up and down through the field. It's really neat. Uh, opens up a lot of application in windows for you can run manure through it, uh, leachate or wash water through it, as well as just straight irrigation. But uh, they're at least a year out or two if you want one of those. Right now they said everything for 2024 is spoken for. So maybe 2025 you'd get something. But... Even that. By the be, time we get our next drought, you might have one. Right. Yeah. That's not going to do any good for this year. And chances of us having two years in a row where we'd need it that badly are 
are probably pretty slim, but I mean, it could happen, I guess. But even that, you wouldn't get it next year, even if we did have it two years in a row. So, you know, I got a guy with with irrigation, and we've been running it a lot this year. And he put it in after twenty twelve. Sure, he put it in the the fall of twelve, and it's been used more this year than it was the ten years in between. So, these are you know these events are few and far between. I guess is what I'm the point I'm trying to make. So it's hard to justify that investment. If you're not somewhere that gets droughty every year. Yeah. And and your soil type matters too. I mean, obviously, every it doesn't matter this year. We're seeing drought conditions on every soil type. But there's a reason the Central Sands has a lot more irrigation than other places. I mean, if, there are a few here and there. I know a guy not too far from Green Lake that's got one. Like you said, you've got one that's probably, is he in the Sands? Or Dodge not? County. Dodge County. Yeah, yeah. So, so not in the Sands. Yeah. I got some in the sand in the um, in Portage, so Wisconsin River Valley, which is pretty pretty dry stuff in pockets. So, but yeah, there I think you can justify it probably more often if you got lighter ground. But for the heavy ground, it's a once in how many year type deal that you might use it. Now, obviously, like I said, things like the yield three hundred and sixty rain. If you have leachate, or you know, there is other factors in your operation that make it worth the while. Something you know you can use, even though. If you know, it's not necessarily going to be for irrigation purposes. I could see making that investment, but it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not as simple as it seems when you, when you look at how. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Vanderloop was demoing a manure equipment piece like this a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, they were very similar. Manure, yep. Yeah, same kind of deal. It rolls up and the it rolls the hose behind it up and down the rows, so you're never cutting across with with the hose and. Very similar technology, I think. Yeah. this The nice thing with this is it's self-propelled, and uh, it does run on a diesel engine. So you're, they said it, I think every, what did he say? By the time it gets done covering the acres, it was something like every five days or something you might have to. You would still also need to find a way to get water to the field, right? Right. So if for close to the farm applications, it's probably fine because you could run out of a leachate pit or manure pit but once you get further afield if you don't have a source immediately there to tap into then yeah you're either drilling a well or you need to put fire hydrants in basically right i mean that's yeah or stand pipes if you have an underground system then you could do more with it but it's not to say that it yeah it's not not potentially (laughs) worth it but it's a quarter million dollars for basically another tractor that you can only run in the corn to either irrigate or apply manure. So you start treating fields like parking lots. Are going to put retention ponds on all the corners so we have water to draw out of? That actually did come up yesterday. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I would imagine. That would be what would happen actually for a lot of these places. Yeah, run your tile all into a reservoir and hold it until you need it. And yep, then, dig a basin and yep, and especially for bigger farms where you know if it's if it is wastewater or manure you're limited in how you can apply it yep for the years when you just want to do water having those basins then it's not not as critical to make sure the the basin doesn't overflow like you can't let a a manure pit overflow but you could let the basin kind of run out and if you didn't need it yeah you could put an overflow valve on it and just kind of let it go so um but yeah it it it's neat but yeah they're they're fairly limited there's a how many they said in the state i think there's a handful in the state right now and 
there'll be a few more next year, but even with them ramping up production, they're still two to three years out on that particular piece. Pivots, I know I've heard from some guys that uh, we're down to like one company basically that's serving. Is it Zomatic? It's either Zomatic or Rinky. I can't remember. One or the other, one either quit or sold out or something. And So the guys that have been having issues with their pivots this year, it's two to three weeks to get a guy out yep. there. So unless you could, you want to make sure you know how to fix it yourself because I've talked to on one farm that he's just just done with his pivots. He's fi- yeah. Finally gets one fixed and then another one breaks. And and yeah, he's in the sands where he needs them to be running. Yep. <laughs> it's not like he can wait a few days and be fine or a few weeks. So yeah, even though things are rough this year, you know, really think out that investment if you're looking at irrigation. It's not always going to be the best thing for your operation, but if it gives you some versatility like something like a 360 rain or even like max said the some sort of side dress rig that you can run through corn those are going to have more potential than just buying a center pivot or even an end gun to try to run through your field so make sure you think it through talk it over with your your manager your banker and make sure it's worth the investment so all right with that we'll move into our spotlight for today So today we're talking technology that'll help you keep an eye on your crop. Plant Insights is an accurate, real-time data set right to your phone. Without a doubt, it pays for itself, according to Ryan Brink, Golden Grains Farmer from Michigan. So talk about, you know, we have satellite imagery, we have uh, drone imagery, we have all sorts of things you can do to kind of monitor crops these days. And Plant Insights, which was introduced almost three years ago, is a technology that can literally spot a grasshopper on a corn leaf or a broadleaf weed the size of a quarter using high-resolution cameras that are mounted on pivot irrigation. So if you do have irrigation on the farm, these sensors can basically help scout your field. So if you're looking at an entire pivot it using satellite, a producer using this insight technology can detect irrigation issues that are difficult to see at ground level with the naked eye. Color variations of the map are often caused by irrigation irregularities or pivot malfunctions can indicate or you know plug nozzles, different things that you can see. So it's interesting to, to see how that technology has come along and yeah, if you've got the the pivots there already, probably makes sense to have some of those sensors on there. If you could ride the pivot across the field, you know, you'd get a really good view of what we scout, right? We walk a lot of fields, yep. but there is a, that's a million dollar view from 10 feet above the crop. Um, I should say that to the sprayer guys all the time. I say, you know, I scouted it, I walked it, but I'm open to hear what you guys see too. Cause you guys get the view from there is, is crazy from the sprayer. Yep. The pivot would be the same thing. So I would I would think this would be I don't know why this seems like such a basic like well why didn't we think of this ten years ago like this makes so much sense and not only that but the you know the aspect of monitoring the pivot too you can you can watch pivots and you can kind of tell if sprinklers are off but if it's the sprinkler 
in the middle somewhere. That's the hardest one probably to diagnose. Like the ends yep. you can see when you go to the turn on the pivot and you ride down the pivot lane or as if you're driving down the road, you can see the other end. But having something that can help monitor the, the machine too, keep, keep up on the maintenance and not wait till something's really wrong. Well, yeah, because the monitor, most of the monitors now like just say, oh yeah, there's flow. Like they don't really like say issue, yeah. like, that's it. They don't really monitor, monitor, monitor. So, yeah. So the it's showing lots of promise in identifying, monitoring emergence, weed pressure, disease, canopy cover, and nutrient deficiency in corn, soybeans, potatoes, cotton, and alfalfa. So all crops other than cotton that we grow around here in Wisconsin. So yeah, it's kind of neat, and we'll see where that goes. All right, now we're going to move into our Egg History Minute. So kind of keeping with the irrigation theme today, talk the Great Lakes Compact. So the Great Lakes Compact is a formal agreement between the Great Lakes states, which details how the states will work together to manage and protect the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence River Basin. Parallel agreement, the Sustainable Water Resources Agreement, includes Ontario and Quebec, two Canadian provinces that border the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway. Though these agreement, or through these agreements, the states and provinces collectively manage Great Lakes water. As part of the Great Lakes Compact, Wisconsin registers water withdrawals, receives and analyzes water use reports, requires water use permits, implements a conservation program, and manages Great Lakes diversions. The Great Lakes and St. Lawrence River Basin Water Resources Compact is legally binding and includes the states of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The compact details how the states can manage the use of Great Lakes Basin water supplies and builds on the 1985 Great Lakes Charter and its 2001 Annex. Compact is, uh, is the means by which the states can implement control over water, and it includes, as mentioned, those states and the provinces of Ontario and Quebec. Compact became law in July of 2008 after being ratified by Congress. So it's been around a while, and it's the reason, like we said before, permitting and stuff is required for especially high-capacity wells in the state. So they have to monitor all that and keep track of how much water is being used. Just holds each state accountable to keep track of their water usage, basically. Right, and to make sure we're not pulling too much out of the water table and adversely affecting <laughs> the water we have. It's funny that they, you know, got it figured out. Like, hey, maybe we should talk to Minnesota and see how much they're pulling, seeing as we're pulling from the same pile. Like, you know, we might want to maybe communicate that to each other. Yeah, that's really good, isn't it? Well, and what a novel idea. It it really is going to come into play in the future, too, as places like Arizona and some of these southern states run out of water and or have issues with water, and they want us to send them water. It's like, well, we know how much we're pulling, and if you start pulling water out of here or we start sending it to you, that's even more coming out of that same pot. There's a lot of other people interested in it, too, that need to have a say, so... It's going to be a complicated issue. Yeah. Yep. All right. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. 
You can find Tilth Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts or on Android. We like to use Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. To listen on your computer or smartphone browser, you can go to tilthag.com backslash podcasts. We are also available on Amazon Music. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right, let's get into some current events with our cool beans. That's corny, so cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. All right, our cool beans this week. Despite some changes to the budget, as the governor signed it, there is, he has not really touched any of the ag provisions within the budget. So the budget was signed into law on Wednesday. Governor Evers made stops in Green Bay and at a farm near Bangor to sign what's been called the Agriculture-Friendly State Budget, supporting roads, meat, and dairy processor grants, nitrogen optimization pilot program, and producer-led watershed conservation groups. So there's a million dollars in export market assistance to increase Wisconsin ag import or exports, 300000 in each year to fund dairy processor grants, $1.6 million to fund meat processor grants, one million, or just over one million, over two years to fund the meat inspection program. Hundred thousand in each of the next two years to fund farmer and family mental health assistance, and three hundred and sixty-two million for local roads, bridges, including hundred and fifty million specifically for farm-to-market roads. So it's a good thing to see that there's positives for ag in the budget, and they are survived the whole process intact. The farm to market roads is an interesting little little wrinkle. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's identified. Like, how do you qualify for a farm to market road? But it's interesting. So, I mean, every every little road from the farm back to a major highway is going to have to be paved. Specifically, like that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's how I would take it. Yeah. Which I mean, there are a lot of those small <laughs> town roads that need some. Yeah, they could use it. Some loving. Yeah. Yep. A lot of potholes and and other things that have been growing over the years. So yeah, that's it's a good thing. Uh, the that's corny this week. Red crown rot has reached Illinois soybean fields and is suspected to be in other Midwestern states. So disease first identified in southern soybeans back in 1972. It has made its way to Illinois. It's called red crown rot. And it can appear at a glance to be one of several other more common Midwest soybean diseases. Uh, Generally mimics the foliar appearance of sudden death syndrome. And can also look like other diseases. And it's one of those you have to look really closely at to identify since 2018, it's grown across the state of Illinois into several counties. <clears throat> There's 14 confirmed with RCR, and it's mostly in southern, but some in north-central Illinois. And that's just what we need is another soybean disease. Hopefully they keep it down there and yeah, not move up Keep here. that to yourselves, Illinois. <laughs> uh, right now, there's no good options for rescue treatments once the infection's there. Uh, It's not like a fungicide will just take care of it. Instead, farmers have to address it through management and cultural practices. And 
planting early soybeans can actually be more detrimental uh, as it provides a more favorable condition for the disease. It says delaying planting may result in unfavorable soil temperatures that will limit root infection. So it's kind of... I'm confused. That goes... Delaying planting should result in favor... Because they're saying cool wet is the problem. So delaying planting may result in unfavorable soil temperatures. Oh, I got to know. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Can't read. So it likes cool wet. So the earlier you're in, the more likely it's there. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. So, yeah. So far, it looks... It, it's a, it's a, it's a white mold, white mold all over again. Kinda, yeah. Um, they've looked for it here in Wisconsin, but it has not been found here yet. Uh, they've also looked in Indiana and Iowa, and so far nothing. But uh, something we'll have to keep an eye on, and hopefully, like I said, we'll stay south of our border. But you never know. <laughs> it's funny when you, by the time you hear about them being in, uh, being in Illinois, it's here before you know it. Usually, yeah. Yeah, no, so, it's, I mean, you look at water hemp, how fast that moved, and or tar spot even. Yeah, tar spot was crazy fast. Yep. So, all right, now we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. And this week's Field Good Friday, a Wisconsin ag teacher won some national recognition. A Wisconsin teacher received the National Excellence in Teaching About Agricultural Award was won by Jessica Rettler from Coloma, who teaches at Tri-County Elementary in Plainfield. The National Agriculture in the Classroom organization presented Rettler with the award this week at its conference in Florida. Rettler found ways to share agriculture with students, their families, and peers, and included some hands-on ice cream making, real maple syrup sampling, and field trips to area farms. She is one of only seven teachers nationwide to receive this honor i would say she's got i mean she's obviously done a good job she's got a great opportunity with her location because she's got a good mix of like the the agriculture like in the woodlands you know yep. you know maple, maple syrup and tree processing but also she's got dairy and and veg crops all kind of right there she's at quite the melting point yeah for for wisconsin agriculture which is really cool and gives an opportunity and then obviously she's taking full advantage of it yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for, I'm sure that's why there's several field trips. I mean, you can go to a dairy, you can go to a veg processing facility. Yeah. Kids around here, they're going to a dairy. Right. Like, that's it. That That's what they're going to see. You know, they're, they can see so much stuff. Yep. So, they can see irrigation. There's lots of irrigation in that neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of irrigation. Yeah, that's a a bustling area of, of agriculture. Like you said, it it's... Right, kind of plain fields, kind of that in between uh, the crop and dairy side and and the veg side. So and and converges with the Northwoods yep. at, somehow, like somehow it's, down there. Yeah, yeah, it does. It just kind of I don't know. It's a it's a cool place that way. Just another place people from Illinois like to vacation. Yeah, that area. no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. They're not just in Door County anymore. They're all over. But that's a whole other subject. So congratulations to. Jessica on winning that award and being a positive influence on the future generations for agriculture. Well, that'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, Max. Yeah, thanks for having me. Today we talked about the wild or uh, pros and cons of irrigation. 
In our spotlight, we looked at some technology that you can put on a pivot to help monitor your crops. Ag History Minute, we talked about Great Lakes Compact. Our cool beans this week was the ag provision staying unchanged in the state budget. That's corny. The red crown rot reaching Illinois and hopefully staying there. Our Field Good Friday was Plainfield teacher Jessica Rettler winning national recognition. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.